This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network. I am your host today, Ari Barbalat. I am blessed and honored to be in dialogue with Natasha Lance Rogoff. We are discussing her new book, Muppets in Moscow, The Unexpected Crazy True Story of Making Sesame Street in Russia, published by Roman and Littlefield 2022. Natasha, in addition to being an author, is an award-winning television producer who has written and directed documentaries and produced children's television shows for over 25 years. It's my humble honor to be in dialogue with you today. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. What would you like listeners to get out of our dialogue today? Um, I think just to give them an idea of what the book's about. I mean, I've I've heard from so many people where the book came out about three and a half months ago, and... Um, you know the uh, the feedback I've gotten from readers has been have has been that they've really enjoyed the uh, the book not only as a, a way of better understanding uh, Russia and the Russia the people the culture and a framework for where we are today but also that it's a great story and uh, you know people are saying things like it reads like a thriller so it's very fast paced and I think. Um, um, you know, what I've heard is that it has a lot of heart. So I'm hoping people will listen today and, um, you know, just as e- every author feels, you know, you hope they'll read the book. Can you kindly tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the professional work you would later do? It was a very random uh, you know, windy road. I mean, I grew up in, uh, I was born in New York City uh, in the village and grew up just outside New York about uh, 30 minutes north. Um, and I have uh, four siblings. We're all about a year apart. My father ran a, a marine supply business on Canal Street. And um, I grew up in a in a real business-oriented family. Uh, but I was always fascinated with, um, I think, uh, social justice, civil rights, um, you know, fascinated to understand, you know, how horrible things could happen in the world and read a lot about places where humans treated other humans um, in a way that, uh, you know, was not gentle or with respect. Are, so anyway, that's yeah, that's that's how it led me to. I mean, I read 
a lot of Russian literature as well, and uh, was fascinated with this other culture. My grandfather had come from uh, Belarusia in 1912, uh, so I grew up, uh, you know, uh, hearing him speak about the old country. Uh, but none of my siblings spoke Russian, and my parents didn't speak Russian. And then I just learned it in college. Um, and once I started studying the um, Soviet Union, uh, I just became, you know, hook, line, and sinker fascinated with this other society, as well as China. I mean, I, I did a degree in Chinese history at Berkeley, so I was fascinated with uh, alternative systems of government. What are the primary themes in this book? What message does your book convey? I think the uh, the themes in the book really deal with um, how to bridge different cultures. You know, what are the best ways of uh, going into a society and listening to people and then creating something together so that you can uh, build a um, a show which reflects that owns that society where you're working. So I think that's that's very much the themes are about uh, cross-cultural understanding and misunderstanding as well. What kinds of virtue ethics does American Sesame Street portray? Are these different in Russian Sesame Street or Ulitsa Sezam? Why or why not? Well, I write about this book. I write about this in the book quite a bit because you know, the cornerstone of every Sesame Street co-production is the curriculum seminar where you bring together um, your creative team and Russian uh, and post-Soviet, you know, from other new countries like Ukraine and Armenia, the education experts from those communities. And in this um, three-day seminar is where you discuss what's going to be the content of the show. So there's uh, you know, in the book, I, I write a lot about um, where we found certain cultural clashes. Um, for example, we're coming from very different histories. You know, the U.S. has 200 years of democracy, even with all of our problems, uh, compared to uh, Russian history, um, which their past, their recent past was 70 years of communism. So in discussing how to how uh, this new children's television show would uh, model new ideas and behavior and values for their new open society, you know, which was evolving, there were many conversations about what we should be teaching children. Um, an example of that is, you know, when you're talking about an open society with a free market economy, that's very different from a command economy. So, you know, one of the the uh, challenges we had was discussing how to model, uh, you know, behavior for uh, encouraging children to take risks, um, express themselves freely, as well as um, team building. You know, it was the uh, they were coming out of a more authoritarian structure. And the education system was a great deal more didactic than the U.S. system and required obedience from, from children in a way that was different from the U.S. at that time. And I remember proposing at one point, um, and you'll remember this from the book, you know, I was thinking, what about uh, showing children um, uh, running a lemonade stand? I mean, that would, you know, 
promote uh, an understanding of team building and and even, you know, how uh, a small business worked. And uh, this was met with horror by the creative team because uh, one of the education experts said, uh, that's, you know, uh, horrible. You couldn't have children selling things on the street. Uh, the only people that do that are, you know, criminals and mafia. And from their perspective, their recent past, because the Soviet empire had only collapsed, uh, um, you know, two years earlier or, or before our meeting. So from their perspective, that was actually correct. So my 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 suggestion in this case, you know, was not as as uh, sensitive as it could have been. That said, there were many other uh, clashes uh, in the book that dealt with um, uh, gender issues and um, how to treat children with disabilities. So inclusivity uh, and where the country uh, and the new independent countries were at that time versus where America was at that time, taking into account our really different histories, historical development. How did Russia's version of Sesame Street, Ulitsa Sazam, depict males, females, animals, and minorities differently than the American version? Why was this so? Can you provide some examples? Well, the the uh, Ulitsa Sazam, which is, you know, me and Sesame Street in Russian, um, uh, for the for this new show, we created three new Muppets, which were developed based on Russian folklore. So these Muppets look entirely different from the American Muppets. I mean, they're the Zeli Boba, who is the full body Muppet that takes the place of Big Bird, is a uh, taller than Big Bird, and he's a blue hound like character who um, uh, is based on a domovoy, which is a folklore character who is the spirit. Um, he's a, he's a, a, a spirit who protects the hearth in the home. And he's usually depicted as a old man um, who, uh, you know, tells, tells people what to do. So he's also like a kind of didactic figure. He's all-knowing. Um, and in this case, we encouraged the team to develop, you know, a character, a Muppet that was more childlike so that children could identify with that character. And they did that. And eventually this this um, puppet uh, was absolutely magnificent. It's actually the um, one of the favorites of Ed Christie, who was... Um, the uh, designer and uh, he built the puppets with the uh, Ulysses Sazam team and it's his favorite Muppet. This character is now called Zeliboba and because he's a spirit of nature, he has uh, twigs and leaves uh, in, the, in his coat. They're sewn into his costume. And the other characters too were, you know, very different from, uh, from the American Muppets, um, they were also based on uh, um, aspects of Russian literature, you know, traditional Russian characters in literature. And as far as the issue of gender and the um, the little uh, female Muppet that was created, there were months and months of discussions about what her character character should be. Um, and battles, generational battles between 
the different um, writers in terms of their own perceptions of how, um, you know, girls uh, should be or females, you know, should be portrayed uh, in this new Russian society and for girls across the former Soviet Union. What is your book's contribution to the history of the 1990s? It's very much a, um, a, a really, I think, fresh way of showing what it was like in the 1990s. Why is this important today? Well, the 1990s are used by Putin now as a justification for his authoritarianism. And it's very important for us to understand, if we want to understand where we are today, we have to look at the recent past. You know, we have, there are many, many historians writing about, um, you know, even even further back to look at what's happening in Ukraine uh, today. But I also feel that, you know, the expectation that uh, many in the West had once the Soviet empire collapsed, you know, that we were going to jumpstart capitalism and, um, you know, suit through economic shock therapy, as well as, um, you know, these evangelistic ideas about market economics, that these were very naive. And what I tried to do in the book is through the story of creating Sesame Street and creating this, you know, puppet show, show what people were feeling at that time. You know, they're not oligarchs. They're not um, politicians. They're average people and artists. And it was very important to show how they were feeling and how painful it was for them to deal with the hardships that emerged after the so after their country collapsed and you know different parts of the country were splitting off and becoming their own independent countries like Ukraine, Armenia and Georgia what was that like for people as well as the the economic hardships like you know difficulties uh getting food uh the violence that was um constant in the society that we had to deal with um, you know, not only outside the studio, but inside the studio where our, um, you know, partners, our broadcast partners, uh, you know, two of them were assassinated, not one, but two. And this was in a span of about uh, a year and a half. So it was, it was, you know, very difficult production. How does your book help us understand the Chechen war in new and different ways? How does Russia's war in Chechnya constitute a contextual background to the events presented in your book? The Chechen war uh, is featured in my book, um, you know, as 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 the background to what we were doing that was positive and trying to change the country and offer um, model a safe place for children where they could laugh and learn. Um, and, you know, what was going on outside, uh, and was, was, uh, had an impact on what we were doing because for instance, in the curriculum seminar that I mentioned earlier, while we were, uh, discussing the, um, the content for this new show, uh, there was an attack in, um, a town, uh, Budanovsk, which is not far from, um, 
uh, Chechnya inside Russia. And it was one of the earliest attacks on Russian nationals to happen after the Soviet Union collapse. This was going on. So, uh, you know, there were something like uh, a thousand people that were rounded up on the streets of this Russian town and then uh, taken as hostages. I think they were they were kept inside a, a hospital. All of this was going on during our curriculum seminar. And and as we were discussing, you know, what what values should we uh, foster in our new um, children's television show, we were getting reports from various people uh, who would bring snippets of information as to the whereabouts of people, how many people had been uh, killed, and what was the Russian government doing to resolve this situation. And it didn't resolve well. Um, so I would say in general, um, that war uh, was always in the background, but ever present in our minds. And the focus of our show, I certainly think it impacted our the design of our show because we were very much trying to think about ways to promote tolerance and understanding across cultures. And you can imagine how challenging this was because, you know, uh, the majority of our um, of our team uh, were Russian, although we had representation from many of these former countries. A lot of the animators were Georgian, for instance. But at the same time, there were enormous tensions uh, that resulted from this attack. And um, there were... Uh, people had a lot of um, resentment of uh, the countries, the new countries that were emerging and how their their um, attitudes towards the the Russian motherland, so to speak. It's a good question, your, Mari. How does your book contribute to debates in the field of international relations about the role of quote unquote soft power in American foreign relations? Our, our program uh, was supported in part uh, by the U.S. Congress. Um, Senator Then Senator Biden spearheaded uh, congressional approval for a Russian version of Sesame Street, and he had bipartisan support at that time. Um, our show was very much based on uh, the culture of the country. We did not simply import the show and and translate the American show. Our goal was, and and this is, I do think it's very important when we talk about you know American soft power that we shouldn't today, uh, or even or then be talking about uh, trying to impose our culture on other countries or. Um, try to control them or convert them. You know, success happens when there's a collaboration. And when you do find this sweet spot of um, cultural understanding so that you can create a show that is um, uh, going to be popular in that country. If you create something that is alien to a culture, um, or something you know they're not ready for yet, or they may never be ready for. <laughs> it is a problem, and and I feel that soft power, um, you know, if we if we get the chance again, uh, you know, 
when this war ends, and it will end because all wars end, uh, we should be ready to 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 do that and think about that in terms of how we we um, implement soft power in countries across the globe. What does this book teach us about success and failure? What does this book teach us about resilience and recovery? I think that is probably uh, the greatest lesson that I learned while working on Ulitsa Sazam that my colleagues taught me. And um, I was just, uh, you know, so impressed and moved by how my colleagues were handling the difficulties in their lives. You know, it's very, very difficult for Americans to understand uh, what it was like living in the Soviet Union and um, also what it felt like when the opportunity to have uh, an open society and freedom of expression was dangled in front of people, you know, after the Soviet Union fell. Um, there was, you know, it was such a tense period and um, also full of so much hope. And I think, um, you know, it was it was internalizing what my colleagues felt that gave gave me the resilience that I didn't have before that. I mean, I really, um, I felt like it was an incredible gift at that time to be able to be so intimate with the group of people that I was with. You know, we were working with about 400 artists, puppeteers, writers, screenwriters, um, uh, um, set designers, um, I, I mean, animators. It was just an incredible family to to be um, let into and then to see how much resilience they had um, you couldn't help. I don't think any, I think anybody who was there would have felt that, that you had to um, stay and you, you know, you felt like the possibility of making a difference was, was real. What role does trauma play in your book? Trauma is a constant character, I think. Um, and um I think that uh, um, not only were the people I was working with dealing with enormous trauma and pain as they transitioned to the new society that they were trying to build, but they were also dealing with uh, very real logistical um, issues like getting food, caring for elder parents when the healthcare system had collapsed. Um, and uh, as well as I think their fear for th what was life going to be like for their children in the future. Um, were, were we going to be able to create a new society, you know, where people had greater freedom and opportunities, or was this country going to slip back into a more authoritarian regime as they had been used to for so many years? So trauma was a a nasty little constant theme, I think, that everybody working on the show had to uh, battle with um, throughout the, the many years of making this show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. How did your time in Russia involved in the making of Sesame Street personally change you? And what ways did you grow from your experiences there? I think um, I think I learned uh, how to um, trust other people and depend on other people in a way I hadn't before. Um, because I had been an independent uh a producer, you know, making documentaries, working with a very small team, you know, it's it's a very different experience than uh, working side by side with, you know, hundreds of people and feeling like you're responsible for their safety, as well as, um, you know, uh, trying to create an atmosphere that is um, is going to help them be productive and feel comfortable with each other and produce something of, you know, amazing quality. So uh, very much this experience was, was new for me Um, managing, you know, so many people and then working creatively and collaboratively on a level that I had never done before, you know, because as I said, it's, it's very different from, from being a, an indie producer. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, I was working with children, uh, really, you know, for the first time in my life. Um, so, uh, that was eye opening. Um, I hadn't realized, um, you know, how much I would love that and how it would move me. And then, you know, through, through the course of the the story, I ended up getting married and pregnant. So it greatly impacted my life personally, too. You alluded earlier on to the context of secession and separatism taking place in Russia and the former Soviet Union. To the extent of your knowledge, how did different minorities within Russia respond to Sesame Street? How did Georgians, Ukrainians, Azerbaijanis, Armenians, Muslims, and other groups within Russia who would have been minorities within Russia responds to Sesame Street? What can be learned well, from these the, responses? The, 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 um, the Soviet Union has a huge Muslim population. And um, in post-Soviet uh, society, um, the, um, uh, it was, you know, it was very important to our team to make sure that the show, which was going to be in, you know, we didn't know it was actually going to happen while we were making the show, but ultimately it was broadcast across 11 time zones. So uh, it was, uh, this was, uh, you know, one, one sixth or one seventh of the world surface. So the group wanted, the creative team wanted the show to be um, popular and appealing to the entire former Soviet Union. So from the very first days, including the um, casting, the group was very attentive to uh, being inclusive of all kinds of children 
And in the book, there's this long discussion about inclusivity of children with disabilities. Um, so that that accommodation uh, was made in the show. Um, but then also, there wasn't that much production at this time. The uh, Soviet government had subsidized all production during the Soviet Union. So film production, TV production, and at the point we were starting Ulitsa Sazam, many of the studios were dark. They were not producing anything. I mean, there was some advertising that was being developed, but there wasn't a lot of entertainment style uh, production and especially for children. So when the show aired in 1996, it became a huge hit across those 11 time zones. And since that time, you know, we we have um, seen how popular the show became because it lasted for 10 years, you know, well into Putin's era. And I meet people all the time from uh, Armenia, Georgia, who grew up on the show. And this is, you know, incredibly satisfying. I was at a hairdresser the other day and met a woman from Georgia who, you know, was telling me some of her favorite episodes from the show you know, from 30 years ago. And um, she just, you know, she talked about how she had uh, grown up on the show. And I I meet many people who speak about that. So um, I do think that uh, the fact that it lasted so long and was such a successful program speaks to the success of the show across um, not only Russia, but the new countries like Ukraine, um, Georgia, Armenia, and um, the Baltics too. Who is who is the Muppet Kubik? Why is he notable? Can you tell us about him? Kubik, Kubik is a uh, orange furball with spiky red hair, um, who is a kind of uh, a Russian version of a nerd, and. <laughs> He's based on a character in Russian um, literature who's kind of a ne'er-do-well, um, but he's he's a incredibly sweet um, character who carries uh, around a little uh, stuffed tiger with him. And um, he's uh, very inventive, except that he's always inventing things that um, are impractical or sometimes already exist. Uh, for instance, one script has him inventing a way to dry your clothes, and he invents a clothing line, <laughs> which I thought was hysterical. Who is Midhat? Can you say more about him? Midhat Shilov. He is no longer with us. Um, and he was a, um, a really great man who ran Russia's largest TV station's uh, cultural programming. His story, it's a very long story. I'm not sure if you want me to go into this, but, you know, hes he was originally born uh, in um, uh, uh, in what was the Tartar region. And his, um, <clears throat> his family held prominent positions in the communist government at some point, um, but his parents were killed by Stalin. And uh, eventually he had to be hidden for many years 
in Moscow by his grandmother. Um, and eventually he was adopted by a Russian because uh, he needed to have some sort of resident status by the age of eight. It's an incredible story. He is He's a, a, a wonderful man who was our uh, confidant and helped us navigate Russia's TV industry. Who is Vladimir Sutskaya? Why is he notable in this story and narrative? Um, he's a character in a scene where we were trying to uh, raise money from a group of uh, 12 very scary businessmen, what you might call oligarchs today, um, and, uh, he is the person who assembled this group. Um, and, uh, um, he, uh, <laughs> it's just, that's also a very long story. I, I, I don't know if we have time to get into that, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a period when we tried to raise, uh, funds for the, um, for the show. And, um, we had initially, approached uh sponsors for the show because although the russian the american government was going to provide funding some funding for the series the u.s government wanted russia to have skin in the game so we had to match the funding with russian money whether it was from the russian government the new russian government or from private sources inside russia and we weren't going to have, have advertising in the body of the show because it was very much like a public television show since Sesame Workshop is a nonprofit. And we didn't want to, you know, put advertising to children in our show. So um, uh, after we, you know, before we had got, met Slitzker, we, we met with um, Boris Berezovsky, who was then a media mogul. And initially, he was going to put uh, uh, several million into the show. Um, we were very excited to to meet with him, and it took months to get a meeting. He finally agreed to give us some of the the financing for it, and then three weeks later, his car got blown up in a car bombing, and so that didn't happen. This led us to the next tranche of trying to approach people. Um, with Vladimir Slutsker. And that, you know, as you will read in the book, I don't want to give it away, but that's quite a quite a um an amazing meeting. Who is Baxter Urist? Can you yeah, tell us ba about back him? Yeah, Baxter Urist um was my boss at Sesame Workshop. And he is the um basically the person who championed this project all the way through at the workshop with Gary Nell. Um, he was a, an unusual CEO, uh, not CEO, but you know, leader of our department. Uh, he ran Sesame Street's um, international division, which was then combined business and production. Uh, he was also my very good friend. And um, I'm doing a talk for, for him um, in a few weeks with all of his um, uh, colleagues from the men's YMCA. But I don't think this project would have uh, succeeded without him because so many people were uh, afraid of um, the 
uh, obstacles that we were facing in Russia, and rightly so. I mean, the, you know, our office was taken over by soldiers with AK-47s. Our partners were blown up in cars. They were assassinated. Uh, you know, there were there, there were serious concerns for any responsible executive in a in a corporation, nonprofit or otherwise. And um, Baxter was able to navigate within Sesame Workshop to find the support we needed to keep going, as well as being the best boss ever, you know, for our team in um, in Moscow and giving me the flexibility that I needed to, to run this thing, you know, in what was then a, a really, really difficult country. Can you tell us about Misha the bear? What role does Misha the bear play in your narrative? Misha uh, Davidov uh, was my co-executive producer. So he was on the ground um, managing the the Moscow team from the side of my my business partner, my co-producer, Irina Barisova, who was the, um, the, the woman who... Uh, financed the production and was, um, uh, you know, a phenomenally brave woman who ran her own uh, TV production company and advertising company. So she hired Michel Davidov. Davidov uh, uh, was in charge of the um, primarily the business side of production from the U from the Russian side, from Moscow side. So I worked very closely with him and and he was a very good friend. Can you comment on audience responses and media reviews of Russian Sesame Street? What can be learned of them? Who wrote them? What kinds of praise and criticism are present in them? Do you mean in 1996? Yeah. Uh what can be learned from them? There are a number of I mean I don't think I read that many reviews at that time. There was a beginning independent media, and then it was general press, you know, like uh, Pravda. And, you know, the the reviews were very positive at the time because the quality of the show was phenomenal. And, you know, I, uh, the, um, the show, the, the face of the production was uh, Volodya Gramatikov, who was also the chief director, um, who had creative responsibility for the production uh, with the American team. So everybody knew him. He was a well-known cinematographer who had come from film into television to work on our show. Um, and the reaction was utterly you know, positive, as well as people I think slightly stunned at how Russian the show was, completely Russian, very much their Ulitsa Sazam, very much their own Sesame Street. Who is Igor Maloshenko? Why is he notable in your narrative? Igor is yet another uh, great man who tried to change Russia, and um, uh, he he was exiled, essentially, later on. Uh, under Putin. And he also uh, died somewhat tragically recently. Um, But he was somebody that I worked with um, who 
guided us behind the scenes in terms of, you know, how to navigate this inscrutable, uh, you know, advertising and TV business in Moscow. And, um, and he also became our, one of our broadcasters in 1996, airing the show on NTV because he was the head of that channel at the time. He was trying to bring uh, press freedom to, uh, to Russia, along with uh, many of our other former colleagues who were uh, assassinated, um, like Vlad Listev as well. Uh, who was also one of our uh, uh, broadcast partners. So it was very difficult. Can you describe Chari for us? Why is Chari prominent in this book? Chari Cole is, uh, um, she was the head of uh, Sesame Street's International Research Department and uh, a Harvard-educated education, children's education expert. She's brilliant. She is such a hard worker and um, was very much involved in the content development of everything, every aspect of the show uh, of Ulitsa Sazam. And our creative team worked closely with the research team, both in the US and in Russia, which was run by Anna Genina, Dr. Anna Genina, um, who is still living in Moscow now. And um, uh, their impact in terms of um, evaluating what were the best ways to teach the concepts that the group as a whole had decided to uh, to model were absolutely indispensable in the creation of content. Um, she's she's uh, uh, she's still working in children's television and still doing amazing things around the world. Um, we were very lucky uh, to have her working on Ulitsa Sazam. As we bring our dialogue to a close, can you tell us about where your time has gone since completing this work? Can you tell us about your current work since the completion of this book? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. I'm uh, working on another book uh, and um, not ready to talk about it yet. But uh, that's where I am right now. <laughs> Great. And I'm continuing continuing to talk to people who want to talk about Muppets in Moscow. And I'm thrilled to do so and thrilled that you asked me to today, too, Ari. Great. Thank you. It was my honor. And I grew so much from this book. I really respect you for everything you sacrificed to bring it into fruition. That's so kind of you. To our listeners, I'm your host today on the New Books Network, Ari Barbalat. Today, I have been in dialogue with Natasha Lance Rogoff regarding her new book, Muppets in Moscow, The Unexpected Crazy True Story of Making Sesame Street in Russia, published by Roman and Littlefield, 2022. Thank you wholeheartedly.